You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Tomball, Texas. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org. So as we have uh, been walking, Pastor Jeff, the last several weeks has been uh, walking us through the miracles of Jesus. Um, and and we've actually, we're actually in a series now where this is our third straight one uh, as we've gone through this, this section of the book of Mark. Uh, it's a little foursome of miracles, and, and it's really three stories, because uh, today's miracle is kind of a two-in-one, a miracle within a miracle, uh, and I love it because I love, I love doing this because, you know, sometimes we read Jesus, we read the Gospels, uh, we, and we, we focus in on his uh, humanity because it's just the incarnation is so unreal um, and so uh, powerful and amazing, uh, but th- in this sequence of miracles, man, we get to see his power his incredible power. And not just his power, but how extremely personal uh, Jesus was for us and how he showed great care to the people that he served. Uh, And so just to recap this little sequence of miracles that's happened here in Mark chapter four and chapter five, we we saw number one, uh, that Jesus shows his power over nature, that he spoke and the storm stopped. And, And I think with each of these, you know, he could have done them very differently. He could have shown his power in very different ways. He could have done this from the back porch of Peter's house. But instead he did it from a boat in the middle of the lake so that his disciples would see not only is Jesus powerful over nature, but he is powerful over nature for us. That he calms the storms for us. And as bad as it gets, that he will be there with us. Notice that the winds and the waves didn't stir Jesus to get up his people asking him for help. So, so yes, we can marvel at Jesus' power over nature, but we long for that glimpse that he's giving us here of that eternal kingdom where there'll be no more storms, no more great destruction. And so, so today, even today, we can be comforted that Jesus will allow the storms of life to only go so far, only as far as he permits, but that he is with us. And then second, we saw that he is powerful over the demonic forces. He casts demons out of this demonized guy. There's, and we're seeing there's no power that can compete with Jesus. Even an army of demons will be terrified. But again, he could have done this one a different way, right? He could have, he could have done some like backstreet cosmic fight scene just for the apostles to see. Hey, look at what I can do, guys. Uh, and some supernatural beat down. But instead, he takes a man in great need whose life has been destroyed by demons mentally and physically destroyed, hated by everyone in the region. He even hates himself. A man who, in whom the demons have attempted to blot out the very image of God. And Jesus sets that man free from this power of this demon army. And, and before he even does that, he, he makes the demons beg. This is our powerful God, that his voice, the demons flee. And so we can be comforted that in our spiritual battle, no matter what our mental anguish may be, that there is no force that can overcome us. The greater is he who is in us and then he who is in the world. And so third today, he's going to take it a step further and, and Jesus is going to show his power over the human body and over sickness to heal disease. And again, he could have done this just with his buddies, could have gotten them together, healed a, a rabbit or something, or that, that's not really a human. So he could have broken Peter's finger and reset it and, and just showed him, I, I can fix this. Uh, but instead, he takes, he's going to take us to a woman who is sick. Not with a little cold, but sick for 12 years. Slowly, physically draining and dying. 
a broken body. And we're going to see today, <clears throat> she isn't just sick. She is sick and alone, completely cut off. She is an outcast in her community and Jesus is going to heal her. How? By faith. And so we can be comforted now as, as we see another glimpse of the coming kingdom where sickness and tears will be no more, where we will be whole forever and in the family of God. And then lastly, we're going to see today that Jesus is going to confront the adversary of adversaries. Jesus, the author of life, will be confronted with death itself. And death is something none of us get to avoid. We are all one step closer to the grave than we were yesterday. 100% of us headed that way. So the question is, is there power in Jesus that can defeat death? Is he such a one that can physically raise me from the grave? Can he conquer death as easily as he conquered a storm? As easily as he caused demons to flee? As easily as he heals disease? And we're going to see him perform the miracle of the resurrection. And so we can be comforted today that we can trust Jesus all the way to our grave. So we're going to read now, starting in Mark chapter 5. So turn there with me. Mark 5, starting in verse 21. And would you stand together with me uh, as we honor the reading of God's word? Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 21. When Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him while he was <clears throat> by the sea. <clears throat> One of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly. My little daughter is dying. Come lay your hands on her so that she can get well and live. So Jesus went with him and a large crowd was following and pressing against him. Now a woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years had endured much under many doctors. She had spent everything she had and was not helped at all. On the contrary, she became worse. Having heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his clothing. For she said, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be made well. Instantly, her flow of blood ceased. And she sensed in her body that she was healed of her affliction. At once, Jesus realized in himself that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? His disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing against you. And yet you say, who touched me? But he was looking around to see who had done this. The woman with fear and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be healed from your affliction. While he was still speaking, people came from the synagogue leader's house and said, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? When Jesus overheard what he said, what was said, he told the synagogue leader, don't be afraid, only believe. He did not let anyone accompany him except Peter, James, and John, James's brother. They came to the leader's house and he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him and he put them all outside. He took the child's father, mother, and those who were with him and entered the place where the child was. And he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl got up and began to walk. She was 12 years old. At this, they were utterly astounded. When he gave them strict orders 
then that no one should know about this and told them to give her something to eat. So as we go today, I want us to see four things. I want us to see number one, Jesus receives the desperate. And number two, that Jesus restores the outcast. Number three, that Jesus' timing is sometimes confusing, but is always loving. And that Jesus' power is immense. Let me pray for us. Father, would you lead us through your word today and by your spirit that we would see Christ. That we would pull back the curtain just a little bit and that you would help us to see his immense power over disease and over death. And that we would be encouraged, comforted, that he is indeed the one who has conquered death and will conquer death for us. So we love you. We ask that you would do this today by your spirit. In Christ's name, amen. About, about two and a half years ago, um, for her fifth birthday party, uh, my daughter Annie chose to go to this place called Monkey Business. Um, I don't know if you've been to Monkey Business. You probably haven't unless you have kids. Um, it's similar to all the bouncy places. There's like just a big room with a lot of bounce houses, uh, a lot of inflatable, whatever those things. We used to call them moonwalks. I don't, is that just the Michael Jackson? I don't know. But <clears throat> we still call them moonwalks. Is that a thing? Uh, bounce houses. Uh, so, so the one thing about this, this place, this monkey business place, is there's one slide, uh, one inflatable slide thing that's really tall, uh, taller than like most of the other ones that I've been to. And so you climb up this thing. I mean, it's like, and of course your kids are like, carry me up. And so you're like with one hand holding your kid and like pulling yourself up. It's one of those like feel the burn sort of moments. Um, and you, you know, and you slide down. So I'm always afraid when I come down this, this one that I'm going to like send some kid to the ER uh, because you're like, there's really not a lot of slowing down coming down this thing. Um, and, and, but kids fly down it too. And so like, I, you know, I, I, we're, I'm there, we're watching Annie at the birthday party. And, um, you know, I, I went down the slide and Annie comes down the slide and she's having a great time and she's smiling and having a great time. She, she's looking at me so happy. And, and right as she hits the bottom of the slide, she puts her hands down to get up. And when she goes to get up, somebody comes right behind her and slides right over her hand. And that immediately the expression, right. Turns from like, I'm having so much fun at my birthday party to like pain, tears, sadness. And, and, and I remember even after we got the tears to stop for the rest of the party, so it didn't end the party, uh, but every time Annie would use that hand, she would, she would go to unwrap a present. She would like keep playing. She would just wince. And then she'd come over to me and sometimes she'd start crying. Um, and, and, and folks, my, my girls have like this, I've got two girls and they have a fairly strong hold on me. Um, I probably need a counselor. Um, the boy, I have two boys. It's a little bit, a little bit different. They smell different. Um, but when I, when my, when I see my daughter's hurting, it hurts. Um, I think I even have a, there it is. Look at that. Look at that. Full Star Wars garb and everything. Um, but when I, when I feel hurting, it hurts. And the whole party, that's all I could focus on. Uh, I, I felt helpless no matter what I did. I had no power to make it better. And of course, the pain was super temporary. I mean, it was a few days later, she's fine. I mean, it hurt like the rest of the week, but it wasn't broken. It wasn't anything major, uh, but it's helpless. 
when, when, when your child hurts and you can't fix it. Today, we're going to see some helpless people in the story. In fact, the first guy we want to run into is just that. He's a helpless dad. And his name is Jairus. And so this leads us to the first point, uh, that Jesus receives the desperate. Like I mentioned earlier, these two miracles go together. It's, it's a miracle sandwich. That's a theological term. Uh, in fact, no joke, many, many commentators call this a sandwich miracle. I, so that's actually a thing. Um, but when Mark does this, he, he, he does it a few times where he's telling a story, but he inserts another story in the middle. Um, and so he's, he's using that, that middle story to help us understand what's going on in the other story. And so like the meat is helping us to like figure out the bread. Um, and which is, I think true of most sandwiches. If it, the meat helps you understand the sandwich, if it's not, then the meat is not a sandwich. Um, <clears throat> so we're going to see a lot of par- well, peanut butter and jelly. That's the sandwich. So I sp- that was too overarching. I'm sorry. Uh, we're going to see a lot of parallels within these stories. There's desperate situations. Both people will fall at the feet of Jesus. Both involve 12 years. I don't know if you caught that when we were reading. Both involve the number of 12 years. And both involve someone who is unclean. The woman, she touches Christ. And, this, and Christ touches the girl. And he's going to call each of them daughter. So let's, let's, let's meet Jairus starting uh, in verse 21. Verse 21 says, When Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the sea. Now remember, he's coming back from casting out demons. And, and, and on the way over, there was a storm. On the way back, no storm that we know of. Uh, verse 22, one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. Okay, so who, who is this Jairus guy? Mark, Mark is telling us he was a synagogue leader. That means he's one of the primary spiritual leaders uh, in the region. And what do we know about the religious leaders of the time and their thoughts toward Jesus? At this time, right, the synagogues had begun to reject Jesus, had begun to reject his teaching because he had been saying already some pretty scandalous things about himself. So they're trying to discredit him, to discount his message, his character, even going so far as to say, saying that he was demon possessed. And yet here is this Jewish leader, Mark says, and it says he fell at Jesus' feet. And verse 23, he begged him earnestly, my little daughter is dying. Come and lay your hands on her so that she can be well and live. So what drives this guy to Jesus? Isn't this kind of how it works sometimes? People don't want anything to do with Christ. They have objections to him, but something goes wrong. Tragedy strikes. And in a moment of desperation, suddenly maybe Jesus can help. This man's about to lose his daughter and not, not, just, not just a little girl, uh, but a 12-year-old daughter. That's 12 years of laughter, of friendship, 12 years of tears, love within a family. 12 years old is when a Jewish girl would have, would have become a woman. So this is when she would have had her, her bat, bat mitzvah. She would have become, this was, this was her, this was at the age where she is moving toward womanhood. Um, and we see in Luke's account <clears throat> that, that we learn that this is his only daughter. This is the one daughter that this guy has. This is someone who is special to him, precious, lights up his life. If, if she dies, there's a part of him uh, that will go with her. So, so can you feel that? Right? When, when your kids suffer, you suffer. And I'm not talking about like the like fake crying, whining, suffering kind. That doesn't make you suffer. That just makes you feel something else. Um, <laughs> but we're talking about a little girl who's gasping for breath, 
who's asking her daddy to help. Maybe not even with her mouth, maybe just with her eyes, she's saying, help. This man's in pain and he's asking the question, what can I do? I, can't, I have no power. I can do nothing. But I've, I've heard of Jesus. Maybe I've seen some of the miracles that he's done. I can go to him. And this may be your testimony. Maybe you have, maybe you coasted through your life, needing nothing, and then tragedy stri- strike your life. And you came face to face with your mortality, and, and you realized you knew Jesus was powerful, and he's personal, and he cared for you. And then you found not only that, but he forgave your sins, made you new. Maybe, maybe you're here this morning because you're in that desperate spot. Maybe you're out of options. And if so, Jesus is here. He is ready to receive you. This guy is desperate. His daughter is going to die apart from a miracle. And so here he, here he is face down before Jesus. So what's Jesus going to do with this guy who is part of the religious establishment that opposes Jesus? Is he going to mock him? Is he going to rebuke him? Is he going to say, oh, now you need my help. No, Jesus is so kind. He looks into the face of a man who is against him and he says, let's go get your girl. Verse 24, Jesus went with him and a large crowd was following. They were going right along. They were following and pressing against him. Guys, Jesus is available to anyone who sees their need and who comes by faith. This guy, a likely enemy of Jesus, yet he says to Jesus, Yet Jesus says to him, come on, I'm ready. I don't care this morning if you thought Christianity was for idiots. If you made fun of Jesus on the way to church today, Jesus will receive you. We are all against Christ. And and hear this, he's the best option that we have. We were all against him. So come to him. Acknowledge your helplessness before him. He will receive you. How surprised you think Jairus must have been? That's it? I didn't have to grovel, to beg. He was just willing. And Jesus welcomes those who are against him. He doesn't see you as an interruption. Don't hesitate. So Jesus is on his way and the crowd's along for the ride. But strangely, this is the last we're going to hear about Jairus' daughter for a while. And we're going to meet our other character. If, If this was a movie... This would be like infuriating. What? Where are we now? Like we're on something totally different. Uh, We'll be going, what's going on with the girl? She's dying. But here's Jesus getting distracted. His agenda is different. He's teaching us something. Because check this, the very woman that Jesus stops to help is someone that Jairus would have kept out of the synagogue. So it leads us to to the second point. Jesus restores the outcast. Starting in verse 25. Now a woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years, had endured much under many doctors. She had spent everything she had and was not helped at all. On the contrary, she became worse. So so Jesus is about to encounter a woman who's been sick for 12 years, 12 years. Remember Jairus had 12 years of loving and, and being with his daughter. And this woman, the entire 12 years, she had been experiencing heartache. 12 years of laughter and love with Jairus, 12 years of tears and pain for this woman. This bleeding issue was, was likely some sort of hemorrhaging tumor, uh, some sort of uterine tumor. Um, whatever it was, something was really wrong. There's one thing I, I know about the human body. I'm no doctor, um, but I know that when you bleed for a long time, 
That's bad. And there's something bad. Or there's other bad things going on. And, he, and particularly in this Jewish culture, it was especially bad to, be, to have this issue of bleeding. Uh, Leviticus had instructions for ceremonial cleansing. Uh, and because of this, this woman was unclean all the time. There were all sorts of ways in the culture you could have become unclean. Uh, you could be defiled by touching a tombstone. Uh, you could be defiled by going into certain homes, Roman homes. Uh, G, uh, uh, Jews often wouldn't stop for someone who they thought might be dying because they didn't want to risk that person dying and them being unclean now because they had touched someone who was dead. This is, we see this in the Good Samaritan. Why is this? Why, why is this issue of being unclean here? This was God's way of showing we, we are sinners and we are unacceptable in the presence of God. And no matter how hard we try, we cannot make ourselves clean. So that's what, this, this is what the law of God is showing us about what it is to be clean. So while this woman's bleeding, this means she wasn't able to be in contact with others. That means no one could lay in her bed. No one could sit in her chair. She couldn't experience physical touch. If anyone did touch her, they have to bathe, to wash their clothes, to go through the process of purification. Her sickness has essentially cut her off from society like a leper, likely no husband, likely no children, excluded from community, not permitted in the synagogue, ostracized from a normal life. And then there's the doctors. Not only was she suffering from the condition, but she was suffering and enduring the treatment. And so think of how weak and in pain she must have been. And Mark tells us the doctors, they're making it worse. So funny side note, uh, this, this account is in the three uh, synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, and Luke is the only one of the three that doesn't mention the issue of the doctors failing her, which is kind of funny. Um, I, that doesn't really mean anything. I just, other than Luke, one of the Maybe, maybe he's trying to help the doctors out. Um, but let's talk doctors in the first century. So for this particular issue of bleeding, the Talmud listed uh, 11 different cures, in quotes. Uh, guys, this is, this is no MD Anderson. This is no uh, St. Luke's. This is no Methodist. This is no Harmon Memorial. Um, first, can we just admit that we're spoiled because we live in Houston? We have access to great doctors uh, near us. People travel all over the world to come here. But this was not Houston, and this was not 2017. And these 11 different cures are weird. Um, here's one. Take the gum of Alexandria, the weight of a small silver coin, of alum, the same, of crocus, the same. Let them be bruised together and given in wine to the woman that has an issue of blood. If this does not benefit, take of Persian onions three pints. Boil them in wine and give her to drink and say, arise from thy flux. Feel better? <laughs> if this does not cure her, set her in a place where two ways meet and let her hold a cup of wine in her right hand and let someone come behind and frighten her <laughs> and say, arise from thy flux. And on and on and on. And oh yeah, none of that works. Here's, here's a great one. Try carrying around on your person the, the barley corn that falls as part of the poop of a white female donkey. So go dig through, through some poop, find some corn, 
and just hold that for a little while. Imagine the suffering. She's already going through physical suffering, social suffering. There's the psychological suffering of knowing, is this ever going to go away? She is a walking pariah, exhausted from her sickness, worn out and broken from the cures. No close relationships, no family. The word Mark uses for her suffering is the same word that, that he uses again later when Christ is whipped and beaten, the sufferings he experiences. It literally feels like punishment to her. She is being flogged. Do you ever feel that way? Like when you are cut off from hope emotionally, physically, we see these two representations of society here, the rich and the influential Jairus versus the poor and the outcast woman, but both extremely desperate. So how is Jesus going to respond now to the woman? Verse 27, having heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his clothing. For she said, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be made well. This this completely broken woman. She's saying to herself, this is, I think maybe this is even her mantra. She's like, if I can just touch his clothes, if I can just touch him. She's, she's maybe heard of him healing a demon possessed man, heard of other miracles. And, and she's going, just, I just got to get up there close to him. Remember Jairus comes up directly to Jesus. He speaks to Jesus. He lays at Jesus feet, but here she's coming up from behind. Think of how insignificant she probably felt. I, she, I don't deserve his attention. I might defile him if I actually touch him. He's on his way to heal a dying, dying girl. I, I don't want to get in the way. Maybe I can do it without him knowing. Maybe I can do it without everyone seeing. So she sneaks up. She touches the edge of his robe. And then verse 29, it says, instantly, instantly her flow of blood ceased. And she sensed in her body that she was healed of her affliction. What? She's healed. Instantly, she could feel it. Imagine her emotions. At once, in verse 30, at once Jesus realized in himself that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and he said, who touched my clothes? Power went out from him. This is the first time Mark uses the word power. And it's, it's, the, it's the Greek word dunamis, which is, I mean, it kind of sounds, is what it sounds like. It's the word where we get our word dynamite. I mean, that's power. Jesus is showing, this is more than just compassion. This is more than just helping somebody out with a little coin here, a little thing there. No, we have a king who with the touch of his robe can heal the sick. That's, that's dynamite power. Power went out from Jesus and at once she's clean. Jesus took her uncleanness. She touches him with her uncleanness and he gives her his purity, his cleanness. She became strong because he took her weakness. This is the gospel, right? That you and I can become clean because Jesus takes our uncleanness, our sin. He dies so that we can be received and lived. Maybe you're, maybe you're a pretty healthy person. Spend very little time in doctor's offices. You never meet your deductible. You have to look up the address when it's time to go to the doctor. Man, what's that guy's name again? Praise God for that. Though you might have a little harder time identifying with this woman. But for those who've experienced sickness, chronic pain, 
difficult treatments, looked at, doc- at doctors when they just looked back with puzzled looks. Jesus' power is of no small consolation to you. The one who has called us by name has the power to heal, power to make us whole. This is hope. Now, are we promised that God will always heal? Did Jesus heal everyone? No. Sometimes we will long for healing and it won't come. And Jesus is no less God when healing comes slowly or not at all, but he is able. And we're getting just a glimpse here, just a sneak peek at the kingdom that is coming. The future kingdom where there will be no more sickness, no more pain, no more bad knees, no more failing eyes, no more cancer. No more doctor's offices. There will be times when God will demonstrate his great power through healing in your life. And there will be other times when he will say to you, my grace is sufficient for you and my power is made perfect in your weakness. But neither, he's good. Let's finish with this woman. In verse 31, his disciples said to him, you see the crowd is pressing against you and yet you say, who touched me? But he was looking around to see who had done this. They're going, the crowd touched you, Jesus. That's who touched you. You're getting touched by a lot of people. Keep moving. But Jesus knows the difference between people touching him and the touch of faith. The touch of faith is the one who receives from Jesus. And Jesus knows. He knows something went out from him. Power went from him to someone else. And he said, who did this? Which is such a hilarious question for Jesus to be asking. This is Christ's humanity and his divinity on display all at once. His clothes healed somebody who's been sick for 12 years. He feels power going out of his body. And yet he's looking around like somebody tapped him on the shoulder and is like hiding from him. Such a great side by side of his humanity and his deity. Verse 33, the woman with fear and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be healed from your affliction. Daughter, that's what he called her. This woman that has been rejected from community, a decade of no normal relationships, and now he's saying, you're clean. And and not only that, he calls her out into the open in front of the crowd, probably the last place she wants to be. And, and, And right there in front of the crowd, he looks at her and he says, daughter, you, you are a daughter, a child of God. You are in the family. You are at peace. You don't have to live in hiding anymore. You may go now in peace. And all of this happened in front of who? In front of the leader of the synagogue. The one who had likely kept her out. And Jesus says, Jairus, you know how you love your daughter? This is my daughter. This is one who God accepts. And you will now accept her too. This has to be part of the significance of these two stories coming together. Such a contrast of people. She is the outcast. And suddenly Jesus is saying she should be immediately accepted. Immediately brought in and and received by everyone. Not because of sacrifices she has made, but because she has come to Christ. Her faith in him has made her well. She should be restored now to life in the community. This lady went from having nothing, having no one, to now having the king of the universe say to her, daughter, saying to her, my family is yours. 
You are now, my people are your people. You are welcome here. Now, was her theology awesome? No, her approach is pretty flawed. A lot of kind of superstition mixed in. I'm gonna touch the garments. But notice Jesus didn't stop and take her through Grudem's systematic theology. Uh, he didn't fix every single little bit of her flawed theology. No, he called her his daughter. And he, and, he, and he taught her for a moment. He said, your faith has made you well, but not just faith, your faith in me. Not a robe, not a potion, not a doctor. Your faith in me has made you well. Maybe, just, just maybe, we should be prepared to love and to receive those whose theology is not quite there yet. To welcome those who are on the fringes, who are distant from the community, but who are coming in faith. There are so many lessons, I think, to learn here, but let's, let's, keep, let's keep moving. So the, here's the big problem in all this. What's going on with Jairus? Right? So this is what we, why we see number three. Oh, there's the verse. That was nice. Uh, Jesus' timing is sometimes confusing, but always loving. Imagine what Jairus is, is feeling in this moment. This has to be excruciating. He's just going, what about my daughter? You, you lost focus, Jesus. You're off track. I, I needed you a few minutes ago. What were you doing? Why did you stop? Do you not care about me? That lady was sick for years. That could have waited till tomorrow. My daughter, she may not have another day. She may be dead now. This is the equivalence of an ambulance pulling over as they rush a dying person to the hospital to help someone with a minor injury. And sure enough, in verse 35, while he was still speaking, people came from the synagogue's leader, leader's house and said, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? This interruption seems to have cost Jairus' daughter her life. But Jesus' timing is perfect. This interruption wasn't just for the woman. Uh, Jesus was teaching Jairus. Jairus needed to see an out, outcast person welcomed. He needed to see an outsider brought into the kingdom. And it was also for the crowd. They, they needed to see this. They needed to see a marginalized, unclean woman being put before a religious leader being received by faith, that Jesus gives himself to the poor, to the outcast. The whole crowd saw it. And it's also for us. We get to see who he stopped for, who Jesus gave himself to. And maybe that will enable us to also stop for those people. Maybe it will enable us to not mind being interrupted, to serve those who can't pay us back, or even just serve in ways that won't get noticed. This is what I love about being a part of a missional community, part of one of our, our small groups. You don't necessarily choose who shows up. Um, people just come. And it may be the sort of person you would have never spent your time with. Maybe you would never, never even noticed. And the Lord's saying, here they are. Serve them. Know them. See the image of God in them. See my grace toward them. You ever feel like Jairus here? Like things are going badly. Jesus is not responding. Jesus, where are you? Do you care? Life seems to be falling apart. A loved one is dying. And there's no, no changes happening. And listen, Jesus is about to do something miraculous, but there are plenty of times in scripture where he doesn't, where people die and that's it. 
where lives are destroyed, where possessions are lost, where money is gone, where relationships are corrupted. His timing is not bad in those either. But he is accomplishing something beyond what we know. And Jesus knows exactly what we need, when we need it. Jairus doesn't know what is coming and he doesn't know that it's better. And we, we have to believe that, that God is not indifferent. He is not disengaged. He isn't far away from us. His timing is not always what we want it to be, but, it's, but it is perfect. He wants us to trust him. And it's okay to say that God is at work in whatever you are going through. That's not cliche or trite to say. I know we hesitate to heap that upon people who are suffering, that, that God is in control and, and that he is working and, and we should be careful when we, when we are in moments like that. But we still do need that solid, rock solid theology of knowing that the Lord is with us in our suffering. He is not the author of evil, but he is sovereign and he is at work in our suffering. And he's calling Jairus to trust when it doesn't make sense. Look at verse 36. When Jesus overheard what was said, he told the synagogue leader, don't be afraid, only believe. This seems like almost such a lighthearted cavalier response. Similar to kind of what he told the, the people in the boat. There's a crazy storm and he's just like, why are you afraid? Just believe. And now we see this death defying power of Jesus on display. Verse 37. He did not let anyone accompany him except Peter, James, and John, James's brother. They came to the leader's house and saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. Part of the reason we know she was really dead is because of this scene. When someone died, you actually went and got wailers and, and mourners. This was part of the cultural experience of death for them. So the, the wailing process has begun. begun. This is really a soundtrack of a, of a dead person for them. And so Jesus walks up to the scene and he asks this seemingly ridiculous question. He goes in and he says, why are you making all this commotion and weeping? And I mean, I just can't imagine how they would receive this and just look and go, she's, she's dead. She's dead, Jesus. You're too late. Hosp the hospice folks, they're gone. The, the, the death pronouncement has already been made. It's over. You can go home. But he says one of the most astounding things. The child is not dead, but is asleep. That is power. That is power that one, there's one man who would be able to say that he has power over death in such a way that it seems as though the dead are just asleep. That's his complete power over death. That it's as, as easy for him as it is to go in and wake up a child with just a little nudge, just a little word, unless it's a teenager, which a little harder nudge, louder word. But that's how easily he can raise the dead. Jesus puts death in its proper perspective. Look at verse 40. They laughed at him, but he put them all outside. He took the child's father, mother, and those who were with him and entered the place where the child was. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha, kum, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, get up. I love that this, this phrase is here, Talitha, kum. First, it reminds us that this really happened. This would have been spoken in Aramaic, this Aramaic phrase. That's why it's translated uh, for even for the readers. Uh, and, and years later, 
uh, when Peter would have been recounting this story to John Mark, uh, who wrote this gospel, uh, Peter w- could, he could still hear those words ringing in his ear. He remembered the scene so vividly that he remembered the exact words that Jesus spoke, Talitha, kum. Talitha is, is a term of endearment. Um, pro- I think probably it's little girl is kind of a wooden translation. I think it's probably more on par with sweetheart, sweetie, honey. When I hold my, my youngest girl, Hallie, I always ask her, I said, will you always be my baby girl? And for a while she balked at the word baby, um, but she's becoming okay with that. And then I'll ask her, when you get older, are you still gonna let me rock you like a little baby girl? She said, daddy. But, but when Jesus walks into that room where the body of this precious 12-year-old girl is laying on the bed, her cold body getting colder by the minute, he doesn't have any equipment, He doesn't stand back and shout, little girl, come forth. No, he's gentle. He sits down next to her on the bed, like I would sit down to my little girl. And he grabs her lifeless, cold hand. And he says, hey, baby girl, sweetie, I'm here. The sun is up. It's time to get up. Breakfast is ready. And guess what? Immediately, the girl got up and began to walk. She was 12 years old. So she's 12. She's right on the edge of womanhood. There's 12 years of this one woman suffering. And this little girl has died right as she has gotten to womanhood. And Jesus, in a moment, has resolved both, tied these two together forever. He spoke lovingly to this girl. And he speaks the same way to you and the same way to me. If you are dead today, so far gone that you feel like Jesus must hate you, the author of the universe sits next to you today like this little girl. And he looks at you with endearment and says, my child, my friend, my brother, my baby girl, wake up, wake up. To my grace. He is not in too much of a rush for you today. He has the power to raise your dead heart to life. How do we know all of this? We know this because the father endured the loss of his only son so that we as his children might one day rise from the dead. Jesus endured through the torture of the cross. And by the power of the Father, he was resurrected and he is alive today so that he might place his nail-scarred hand on yours, your living Savior and King, and he might say to you, wake up. You are forgiven. You are clean, accepted, and loved. Breakfast is ready. Wake up. Be in my family. So this is our ultimate trust. Jesus, our complete redeemer, brings the dead to life. Jesus faced death. The greatest fear of the human race, the thing everyone is afraid of. And he raised up this little girl by the hand as though she had just fallen asleep watching cartoons. And he did that to show us so that we might believe that when we die, 
that Christ is going to bring us back just as easily as though we were asleep. He said it in John 5. Jesus said, do not be amazed at this because the time is coming when all who are in the graves will hear his voice, will come out. If you are in Christ, that is you. And then we will say with Paul on that day, what we believe and say now, oh death, where is your sting? Where is your victory? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org.